You're listening to Masters of Web3, a Transac podcast. Join your hosts, Sammy Start, Transac co-founder and CEO, and me, former CNBC money journalist, Megan DiMatteo, for an exclusive look into the stories behind the world's most well-known Web3 startups. Every episode, we conduct interviews with the high-profile founders, developers, and innovators building the world's most widely adopted blockchain protocols. We want you to hear about the highs and lows experienced along the founder's journey in the crypto space from the people behind the tech that's changing our world and get a 360 degree look at how blockchain innovation is disrupting the internet as we know it. So welcome to Masters of Web3. Everybody, welcome back to Masters of Web3, episode 13. Lucky number 13. Um, I know that some elevators... Don't put a number, a level 13 or floor 13 um, as an option, but we are owning it. We're excited about this episode. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> um, What's the worst that could happen? Right, <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> Today's episode is with Chris Castiglione. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly, Chris? Yeah, that's amazing. Most people just call me Castig, but okay. also, yeah, either one works. Yeah. Is that like Spanish or Italian? So it's like I'm Italian, like Italian. My, uh, my grandparents are Italian, but it's actually, I think it's like a Spanish town or something. So both. Okay. Let's just say both. <laughs> <laughs> both. <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. Well, Chris is the co-founder of Console, which is a secure chat for Web3. The focus of today's call is going to be about Console. That's what interested me the most. <laughs> I mean, you have a really varied and interesting background, and we can definitely talk about your journey. But I was like, I was 100% in whenever I heard about console because everybody on Twitter has been talking about how we need a Discord alternative in Web3, and here you are making one. So um, that's what that's what we'll talk about the most today. But of course, we'll dive into your background a little bit. Welcome, Chris. We're so happy to have you. Thanks, Megan. So happy to be here. Let's start off with a round of my favorite game, Explain It to a Kindergartner, <laughs> um, which is where I ask our guests like how to simplify things in, in the most obvious or concrete terms. One of the issues that people have with Discord is that it's not decentralized, and um, you can get into the nitty-gritty about whether console is decentralized, what that exactly means, or whether console is just more secure. We'll talk about the specifics of what makes console different than Discord. But I thought it would be fun to start with just um, a quick round of explaining decentralization to a five-year-old. How would you explain it if you had to, if you had to really simplify it? Well, maybe I'll explain console to a five-year-old. Uh, so <laughs> I, I okay. would basically... You know, if if you're five, um, you you probably want you know I have nephews like you know they want to go out and um, ride their bikes, they want to eat cookies when they're not supposed to. Um, that I don't know any five year olds with like email addresses or or texts, but I'm sure they have them. <laughs> I I think the main thing though is like you know how here's my pitch. You know how mom set up your phone and she reads all your text messages and like mm. every time you try to go out of the house, she like catches you. Console yes. is secure and private. So you own your identity, you set it up yourself, and no one else can chat with you. It, it goes a lot more beyond that because we're like diving into Web3 identity and all that. But uh, but I'd say for a five-year-old, that's all you have to know is it's private um, and, um, and it's a way to connect with your community. Okay. I love that. So mm. it's private. And is it decentralized? Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. So okay. we have to like break that down, you know, cause I think that word gets used a lot and like, I don't actually know that like the general public kind of like appreciates where the technology is right now. So, um, decentralized identity is decentralized identity. So that's the most important thing. And from there, we're taking an approach of like progressively decentralizing over time. But the thing mm -hmm. is, and we can dive into this, People say like, is it decentralized? Is it decentralized? Um, a lot of the tools that like can really completely decentralize something at an application level, like aren't really ready yet, or they're kind of like in beta. So yeah. with console, you know, we, we want to have like an alternative to discord. We're building an alternative to discord. Um, you know, we're testing it right now with a few communities and we're slowly gearing it up. And right now 
identity is decentralized. We could talk more about that. I think it's very important. And then over time, you know, anything from like the images and chats and, and the whole platform can become more decentralized. Yeah. So that we don't, oh so we gosh. don't own anything and then the people own it. Basically that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I forget everything I planned, Sammy. I want to go, <laughs> I want to go into yeah. decentralized identity, but uh, yeah, because yeah. we, uh, last week, we actually had Anastasia Uglova from Lighthouse on, and I don't know if you've heard of Lighthouse but uh, or Anastasia, but Anastasia actually did her um, PhD thesis on identity and privacy in Web3 and how to avoid a Cambridge Analytica in Web3. And she published it on Mirror, which I love. Um, but her stance was that we need to find, like, this is a huge problem that we need to solve and that we actually need to find a way to put identity back into the hands of users so that we can control all of our data preferences and our privacy as we navigate this transparent, you know, blockchain-based world. So, okay, we're going to go down the yeah. rabbit hole. I'm so excited. My, my, ears, my ears definitely pricked up when I when I heard that as well. So, no. <laughs> yeah. What do you, like, what's your initial, what's your initial response, Sammy. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, uh, my initial response is, is that, you know, I, I hear so much talk about decentralized identity and self-sovereign identity and people are working on it from so many different angles. But, um, you know, in, in the end, the adoption really needs to be there. And, and I, I would just really love to see uh, actual use cases of, of this being used. That would get me really excited. Is that kind of why... Do you, it sounds like consoles. This is such an overused phrase, but it sounds like consoles kind of starting with a crawl, walk, run approach. Is that because you're waiting for a certain level of adoption, and then so that you're kind of ushering people into it and and helping educate them a little bit along the way? Sure. Yeah. Um, I you know I'll, I was a I guess we could say Web two founder. Uh, I've had a few companies before this. My last company, one month, uh, an education company. We went through Y Combinator and like really tried to, you know, we really grew that company uh, in New York City. And one of the biggest things from going from like zero to incubator to growing is making something people love. You know, YC will say that a lot. Make something people love, make something people love. And so um, the truth is we really want to make console something people love. And to do that first, we need to get it out there and we need people using it and giving us feedback. And so... Our approach is let's get it out there with like, what's the most fundamental thing that we can use from the, the blockchain that's ready now? And that's identity. So just pe and people understand web wallets, like a, a good chunk of people, not everybody in the world, but a good chunk. So the idea is like you come to console, you use your web wallet, whether it's MetaMask um, for Ethereum or Hero for there's a .BTC name we're using as well, .ETH. You come, you log in with your wallet, and then you're in console, and it will feel familiar. I'll feel like something like Slack, right? But you own your identity. So it's like I'm Castig.eth, right? And I'm Castig.btc. If you're chatting with me, you know you're chatting with me. It's, the analogy I would give is like domains, right? We all we all have this kind of like digital hygiene where when you come to a website, you look at the URL, right? And you're like, okay, I'm at google.com. Like I, this is a legit site. Um, but we don't really have that with identity. We use emails, but emails are very easily spoofed. We could talk about that, but, but yeah, I mean, there's like a whole yeah. history of how, how easy phishing and emails is like not efficient, you know? Oh, uh, so you, give us the, summary. the, well, I mean, I was a developer for a long, you know, for about 10 years. Um, I mean, I can send an email. I used to do this in my class that I teach. Like I could send an email from whatever your mom's email address is to you via code. And it would end up in your email box and would be like, hey, like, I have to tell you that thing. Like, uh, you know, dad and I are breaking up or whatever. Like I could just say whatever, like fake news. Like you could just write it. You could write it with a few lines of PHP code. Um, it's, really easy to, it's really easy to spoof email. Um and that's why you see so much phishing. And t t Gmail has like caught up to to a certain degree, I think, like of like spam filtering and stuff. But yeah. it's still a problem. Sometimes things get through, and you know that's why um, that's why phishing, uh, phishing emails, fake emails that make you click on links um, is so uh, is so lucrative. That's why it's why it still kind of happens. So yeah, identity isn't um, yours. You know, your email isn't really yours. It's Google's. Um, 
we saw last week with the tornado cash um you know situation where the discord for tornado cash was just you know shut down right um yeah. it's the same thing with email it's like they have that identity layer and they can just shut it down and so when we talk about bringing our lives to the digital world the question is how do we have secure identity online and that's where decentralized identity and the blockchain really really are, are doing some amazing things that we could use does that make sense <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no it does yeah it makes sense there's so much there's so much to dive into there i just joined the console waitlist <laughs> so because as you were <laughs> as you were talking about this i was like all right let me go to the website so you go to the website and once this is up um, like once the waitlist closes and, and, and people get onboarded, you log in with your wallet as opposed to your email address. Um, and, and right now you're on Ethereum and the Bitcoin Stacks. blockchain. Yeah. Stacks. Stacks is like a layer two for Bitcoin. So yeah. Okay, cool. What made you choose those two? Is it just, again, going back to the adoption because they're the most commonly, most commonly yeah. used? Um, I think those, you know, the two biggest blockchains right now by market cap, let's say, or notoriety or Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, I think on Ethereum is where the most interesting experiments and innovations are happening. Everything from like DAOs to quadratic funding and all that kind of stuff, like a lot of really cool stuff. And then on Bitcoin, um, I, I think for us, it was just there's like this opportunity of untapped uh, resources to, to make Bitcoin DAOs. So we're just a believer that there's a future for pooling together Bitcoin, whether it's for politicians, whether it's for NGOs, um, that's just kind of a long-term belief that we have. Wow, and we want yeah. to support uh, the creations of those uh, those communities. So that's why we chose those two. And then once these DAOs are formed, then the idea is that they'll use console to communicate, to message, to have virtual events. Um, everything that you can do in Discord right now will be on console as well. Everything and more, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. Yeah. Like, what do you, well, what's the end more? Because because right now I'm trying to think about Discord, right? Like there's, you can do live streaming. You can do, because um, Discord started as a video game uh, chat mm -hmm. room or chat platform. So you can do live streaming. Um, you can announce events, make announcements. Um, there's people who use it to make polls, to communicate. Um, you can kind of branch off into these little side groups. Um, and you can private message, although there's so much spam happening on Discord right now that the, the general rule of thumb that everybody cautions you against is don't answer anything that comes to your private DMs. Turn your private DMs off. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I mean, I I use it a lot. Like I attended um I attended a, a panel on Discord a couple months ago, and yeah. So the idea is that once these DAOs are formed, they'll be able to do all of that in console too, uh, along with what else? Yeah, I, I mean, the way we're thinking about it is like you have all that stuff you mentioned on Discord, but Discord wasn't made for Web three; it was made for gamers. And yeah. The problem with that is you're building like a building basically, or like a DAO or a community on top of this foundation, which is a black box. It's centralized. You can't even export your data from Discord. And you don't, when it's a black box, when you can't see the code, when it's not open source, you don't know what they're doing with that data, you know? Um, and that's the accusation, I would say, against Facebook and all the Web2 companies, um, Instagram, Google, because you don't know if they have a what's called a backdoor where they're like mm. sharing information with the government, as we found out in 2013 with Edward Snowden's revelations that like basically the government could go into all of your Apple, your Facebook, your Google service. So, so when something's closed and it's black box, we, we just don't know what's happening. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean something bad's happening, but you can't trust it. And Web3 is all about trust, right? It's all about, um, and when we say it's all about trust, it's like, uh, you trust you trust basically the people who you don't have to trust the people right you want to trust the code you want to trust like the openness of it and um so discord really doesn't have that foundation and yet we're like building all the stuff that you just listed so with console yeah. our foundation is going um we aim to be open source and decentralized identities and then from there chat is the main interaction but we we can then supercharge it is the way I'm thinking with all of the different modules and experiments happening at Web3, for example. Um, right now, there's a lot of great stuff happening on Snapshot. Snapshot is 
it's basically like a voting platform for communities and DAOs. If you have to make a decision with like 10,000 people, you have a vote. So we have this happening. There's like hundreds of that, uh, right, hundreds of thousands of people probably using Snapshot. How do we just harness that open source data and pull it into chat so that when I'm chatting with somebody, you know, if I'm chatting with Megan, if I'm chatting with Sammy, it's not just that you're Megan and Sammy, you're like Megan.eth, Sammy.eth. I know that you're verified. I know that you are who you're saying you are. I can click on your name and maybe see your voting record, right? Maybe see that like you're active, maybe see the things you're interested in. All of this is public already on the blockchain. We're just kind of pull it into supercharged chat. So that's that's kind of where it goes from here. I, I've got a question for you, Kastik. So, so um, one of the main benefits here is is this kind of decentralization, right? And and uh, you know, Discord can't just shut down your your server. It can't just shut shut down your your chat rooms, um, which I, I really resonates with me. You know, when when I heard that, and I think Megan as well, we were both kind of nodding, and it was like, yeah, that, that's awesome. Like, like, you know, they should be able to do that. Um, yeah, but. What I've seen in practice is that um, is that social platforms that that have this USP of like not being able to like shut people down tend to attract like the kind of uh, fringe people. Let's put it that way. You know, like they, they tend to attract the people who are like not accepted elsewhere. Um, mm. And have you seen any of that? And and what's your what's your thoughts and plans on? Because because obviously, if you, if you have like attractive enough features on the platform, then you'll attract everyone. And then, and then you know, yeah. th- there'll be like some small minority, but I, I, I have a feeling that that might be an issue for you guys. So have you seen that coming up and what's, what's your plan there? That's such a good question. That's a great question. And it's, I think it's one that a lot of web three founders or developers, people in the space are inevitably going to run into because the values that we, um, a lot of these products care about, you know, privacy, security, decentralization, um, you know, also could be used by, you know, by bad actors. Um, I certainly think that that will be a challenge for us. And I I don't pretend to have all the answers, although at the same time, it's something we're deeply thinking about and really looking to get involved with, um, with our community to help guide us. You know, um, we imagine ourselves potentially being like a DAO uh, over time. I think that will be like a gradual path into seeing like what, what, people like how we can collectively solve that um but like i think the one the one like way forward that like where we're directing it at the moment is that by with basically like federating or basically like removing the power to the communities and allowing them to govern themselves um removes us it just we're, we become more of like a neutral platform kind of like you know whatsapp right now or signal like these are chat apps and there's just no, you don't know who's using them. Like anyone can use the telephone, right? For bad reasons. Anyone can use cash for bad reasons. Privacy should be something that's like normal that we all want. We all want privacy. And just because I think, you know, bad actors are going to use it. Um, we don't want to, I don't necessarily want to encourage like that. That's not at all where we're coming from. Um, at the same time, I think we're just trying to create tools that everybody could benefit from. So I think it will be a challenge and something we're definitely thinking about. This is, this is kind of reminding me of a Black Mirror episode where like everyone kind of rates everyone else. And every, every time someone has oh an interaction God. with someone else, they kind of get rated. So uh, you have to be like super nice to... I had to stop watching Black Mirror because it was too real. And it gave me the most acute anxiety that I've ever had in my life. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but that's such a good point because it's like reputation... It's like on some level, I would like for people to know what I vote for, right? Like I, I get annoyed every time I sign up for like, um, I don't know, a new social platform of some kind or even like a dating app or whatever, where I have to, I feel like I have to keep putting in all my information so that people can know me. And in some way there would, it would be really nice for there to be for like my voting records and my voting history to kind of travel around with me so that my values are very clear up front so that people couldn't necessarily make assumptions about who I am because of what I look like or, or some, or how I talk or something like that. Um, so in some ways it would be very nice to have that like social proof, um, so available and so transparent, but I don't know. Yeah. It opens up a lot of questions as, as Sammy's as Sammy's yeah, talking about. I like, like when I was watching Black Mirror, you know, like sometimes the episodes, they're supposed to be like pitched in this way of, oh, it's so terrible. But then I'm kind of watching it. I'm like, hey, that, that actually sounds pretty nice. You know? <laughs> so, so, 
Right. Like, it would solve I'm, a big I'm, headache. Am I weird? Am I weird? Like, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Do you watch Black Mirror, Chris? Oh, I think I've seen them all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's, I think, and centralized social media platforms are having to face this, right? Like some people believe very firmly that Facebook should censor hate speech, for example, because at some point you're perpetuating real bodily and emotional psychological harm on people. Or at the very least, you could make the case that you're incite that you're allowing people to incite that on your platforms. Yeah. And some people believe really strongly in it, but then other people call it censorship. So these are definitely very complex like conversations. How do you expect that a DAO will will be involved in shaping how that works? Like, do you think that it should come down to kind of collective voting, whether somebody maybe gets booted from the platform? Or do you think that I don't yeah. know, do you believe strongly enough that the that our desire to kind of belong will like create and incentivize a sense of like upholding integrity on its own. Yeah. So just to draw a line in the sand a little bit, when we're talking about Facebook and some of the, you know, issues of like whether Facebook should censor communities or not, this kind of thing. Um, I think the big like truth of it is like whether we build a platform like ours, where people can have the right of privacy and make governance themselves, like choose which community has, if we, we, whether we choose to do that, that's a choice, but if we don't do anything, then we're also having Facebook do it as a choice. So there's not like the option that we have right now isn't great because these platforms are struggling like big time. Um, and it's leading us to, it's just massive, um, kind of um, amplification of disinformation and like uh, just, you know, not good things uh, in the world. We all know about that, I think, for the most part. Um, but one kind of line in the sand between all of that, what's happening on Facebook and the way we're doing things at console is with Facebook and Twitter, there's, you, you can, you can say something right now and you can reach like tens of thousands or millions of people, right? There's this uh, amplification, right? And uh, I think it was R Rene Duresta or someone who said, like, basically, um, freedom of speech isn't necessarily freedom of reach. Like, just because you can say something doesn't mean that you should have a platform in which to have it go viral to millions of people. Mm, yeah. Right. Uh, and, I, and I really I really agree with that. And I think in the design of Web2 social networks, we see that the idea was, like, amplify as big as possible. Uh, with console and, and what I think is powerful with the Web3 direction is focusing around communities. So in in console, right, if you come on and there's a lot of popular DAOs in Ethereum that, we, that we're talking with or, or would love to come join us, whether it's like Cabin DAO or ENS, all of these are communities of people and they're, they're their own little worlds, right? And so on console, if you're in the ENS community, you're just chatting with people about decentralized identity. You're just working on votes around that topic. Um, and you can't get a DM from somebody outside your organization, right? It's being part of that community and having that like network of decentralized identities kind of all brought together that gives stronger ties between the people. And then you know who's in your community, right? And your amplification can only go as far as that community. And all of the questions of... Um, Governance, which I would say could also just mean like who gets to talk more, what how, whose voice gets raised, who gets to make decisions. Like all, all of these decisions are within the community. So we as console aren't deciding. Like we're not writing algorithms that like amplify certain people's voices. We're not writing algorithms or like weighing in on like who gets to speak or not. It's it's more of just organizationally decentralizing, like giving the power to smaller communities. Um, and I think you know it's. It's an experiment of the future of of just thinking about how you know we we come together in the, the digital space. You're not saying that like um, this certain group of people shouldn't have a voice, but you're saying that there's there's like uh, this is a framework that allows the community to to decide whether groups such as this have a voice, whether they have a platform. Yeah, for sure. And and I think we individually can can also have the choice to filter to like be part of that. I think Reddit does it really well. Like for you know if you go into a Reddit. Um, subreddit, each subreddit tends to have its own rules for posting and writing and like how you ban people. Um, 
Yeah. I think that that model um, has a lot of promise, I think, for, for DAOs and for decentralized communities. Um, I, I have a, a question about decentralized identity and self-sovereign identity. Megan, feel free to, to pull me back if I'm going too deep no, here. But... Go for it. I'm, I'm literally taking notes because I'm like, I got to make sure to talk about that. I got to make sure to talk about that. My neurons are firing. So go for it, Sammy, because I get it. <laughs> we're, going, we're going deep. We're going deep. So um, for, for me, a self-sovereign identity says that I, I hold all the attestations, right? So maybe maybe like um, Krastig and, and Megan say that like, hey, they had this interaction with me and I was like, fine. You know, I, I, I was like a functioning member of society. Uh, they have now signed that with their, pri- with their private key, uh, public private key pair. And I, I now hold that attestation. But the, the self-sovereign part says that I don't have to release that information unless I want to, right? That's the self-sovereign part, right? It's like I... I hold that information, right? And then if, if someone if someone wants to verify that, I can release that information. They can do a zero knowledge proof on that. But I'm the one who holds it, right? It doesn't sit on uh, doesn't sit on Castix's machine. It doesn't sit on Megan's server, and it certainly doesn't sit on Facebook's server, right? It, it's sitting like in my uh, in my PC or in my server or whatever it is. So are you planning to, to do something like that or are you planning to hold the attestations somewhere That else? was my, I had a very similar question along the same vein. I like how, like assuming that you build this model of self-sovereign identity, how, how will it transfer around Web3? Like will it only live in console or move, will, will it be something that people can carry with them to other communities that they interact with in other places? Kind of building on Sammy's question. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and in Sammy's question, you said like the, when the information comes to you, is it, is it just kind of any, could it be chat? Could it be money? What, what kind of information were you imagining? Uh, well, I, I mean, presumably we're, we're going to have some kind of reputation system here, right? Because we mm. don't have, we don't have any censorship from console. So, so uh, if I have a reputation, where is that information stored and yeah. you know, who, who can access it and, and what is required in order to access it? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's start there. Um, so, I mean, as of this moment, we're not like implicitly building a reputation system rather okay. the idea is, but <laughs> I would say, but we're looking at, you know, what already exists on that you've already done with your identity. Right. So if I'm Castig.eth, like you can already see all the NFTs I own. You could just go and, and see that. Um, you okay. know, you, you'd be able to like, query my votes. You can see when I purchased that name, right? When I purchased that identity. So there's like certain bits of metadata uh, that are just open sourced already and that we can access. So we are we are like interested in like bringing that together to paint a portrait of who I am. So you click on my name and you can get a portrait of who I am. Um, but I wouldn't say it's as much as like, we're not like assigning like a seven out of 10, trust this person. Like it's more of just like, yeah. here's the data. I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll become that way in the future. Somebody will want to add to the project, and, but that's not our intention, not right now. Um, yeah, and we're also I not, not building. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're also not building um, self sovereign identity as much as we're just using what's already out there. So there's like, like I, I think I mentioned already, like .eth, .btc, um, and you know, if you have an NFT, you can token gate based on your NFT. So for example, like there's ten thousand, I don't know, Moonbirds or something, right? Shout out Kevin Rose, we want you on console. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So, you know, if you have a Moonbird, just by buying that NFT, I, I imagine you guys probably understand this, but just so all the listeners understand, like if yeah. I buy a Moonbird, like not only do I own a, a picture of a JPEG, but really what you're owning is like one in membership, you know, in this community of one in 10 10,000 people. And there's a smart contract. There's a piece of code on the blockchain that has more or less like points to everybody who's in that community because you own that NFT. And so at console, we're just going to read that smart contract and we're going to say, Hey, you want to come into the Moonbirds community? Click join. We're going to check your ID and see if you have access, if you have the NFT and now you can join. So um, there's a lot of, I mean, that's NFTs to us, our identity, um, .eth names. But I think most people don't know this, but .eth names are actually just NFTs of some sort. So it's like everything Mm kind of comes back to NFTs, but in like a cooler way of like identity. 
uh, non-fungible identity, <laughs> NFIs. I'm making that up, but maybe that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen, yeah. That's really fascinating. Okay, so then, so then, because one, uh, one other question that I'm hearing a lot about is interoperability and, um, and like as we're building these decentralized tools, like for example, Anastasia's argument who we had to on the podcast two weeks ago was that it really should come down to something like what Sammy was talking about, where there's a zero knowledge proof where as a user, every time I go in and out of these communities, um, like sure, I might be invited because of publicly available data, but when it comes to like my own personal data, like PII, for example, I can move through this Web3 world with um, with ownership of my own identity. And that way I don't have to reveal my name if I don't want to. I don't have to reveal my birth date if I don't want to. Um, Anastasia called it like, I can avoid, she called it data exhaust. Like, whereas now every time I join Facebook, for example, I have to put in my name, my birthday, um, and like my hometown or whatever I choose to put in. Right. And, and whether I realize it or not, I'm kind of creating this trail of data exhaust that travels all around the internet, everywhere that I go, I probably input my birthday. I don't know, a hundred times a year, maybe ever, you know, depending on how much I sign up for something. I think what Sammy was talking about was this idea of a zero knowledge proof where, is there a way that you're thinking about it kind of expanding beyond console to where like users can voluntarily participate in these groups, but only reveal so much data that they want to, for whatever reason, they're in that particular group? A million percent. Yeah. I see, I see the dots you're connecting. That's yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, that's like a million, that's a million percent where, where this all goes. And, um, not only for console, but I think all for all of Web three. Well, because like the re- like the reason I ask is because if you're building this, then probably there's another there's probably hundreds of DApps that are that are trying to build something like this. And so the question is like, do you see it going to where it just comes down to the own, the user themselves actually owning this data as opposed to everybody coming up with their own solution? Yeah. So. That's a great question. We're, so just to be clear too, it's like, we're not, that's not a solution that we're coming up yeah. with. Uh, <laughs> rather, like there's a lot of great people no pressure. Work, working on that. Yeah, exactly. I'm just pro- projecting all of my hopes onto you, but you know, no, you're taking no. it in stride. I can't take as much credit. Um, only to say that like, you know, we're hoping to use, th- those are those are projects people are working on. And that's like, we're hoping to just tap into those projects. And I think, I think that's like, you know, you hear this idea of composability, composability, meaning in web three, the idea is like, if I make some code or I make a project, ideally it should be interoperable, like a little Lego piece with other projects. And that helps us all build quicker, right? It's a little different from web two in the past where, you know, if Facebook came up with like Facebook connect and you connect with Facebook, it's like Facebook owns that connection. Um, you know, there's some really cool work happening right now when Ethereum, there's something called SIWE, sign in with Ethereum. And, um, mm-hmm. and the idea is like, you know, just involving Ethereum so that like all apps can evolve the standard. Um, but that's all, it's all open source. It's all open data. And I think the more interoperable we get, um, the more we all win. So just bullet points of that are we're not developing that, but we are like closely watching those projects. I don't think that what you're describing yet is being used in mainstream yet. Um, the things that I have seen, it's very, I mean, this is very new. This, I think a lot of this ties into the, the paper uh, that Kevin Iwaki and um, uh, Vitalik uh, um announced about soulbound tokens, which came out a few months ago. That's kind of yeah. the idea of, um, of like you, you own this kind of like identity that you can take with you and it could be used for things like uh, medical records, for example, or I recently heard that maybe this month, Binance, the exchange, Binance is using some kind of soulbound token in order to like you KYC once. And that would be a perfect example of Megan, of, of this idea of exhaust. You, you KYC once. So basically I give my passport, I give all my private information one time to prove that like, I'm not, you know, I'm legit basically to say I'm a legit person. And then, you know, you can take that like token and 
it's part of your identity that you can then go to other sites and not have to share your passport and your birth certificate and all <laughs> your mom's maiden name every single time right. you do something. So <laughs> I, you know, that was the first example I heard of it, like at a, at a large scale. Um, if you guys okay. have any examples, I'd love to hear it, but I think it's fairly new, but I do think it's coming. And as soon as it does, like we're going to be all, we're going to be all about supporting it. I love it. We're talking to Binance in a couple of weeks, so I'll ask them about that. I'd love to hear. Yeah. So, so this is this is another question that you just sparked, and it was kind of there in the back of my mind. Is is obviously you're not going to build all of this yourself, right? You're going to have to no. use Legos. You're going to have to use tools, and and you know if everyone tries to build their own, you know, identity system and tries to build their own whatever, then Web three is just going to be a mess, right? Like people should share some standards. They should share some common tools. So, what are some of the interesting tools that you've seen out there that, that you you're using or you're thinking of using and and you know perhaps for listeners that you can make some recommendations of like how to build some, something like this and what 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 should be used to build something like this yeah um so there's i mean so much of web3 is open source um i guess i'll take a minute to say like what i believe are the three principles of web3 this is just something uh I actually, I guess I'll do a little plug. If anyone's in New York City, I actually did like a gallery piece in um, at 190 Bowery. Oh, yeah. At Empire Dow. This? Yeah, at Empire Dow. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there before. I, um, oh, cool. I love it there. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but I haven't, I didn't see your, your exhibition. It's like when you walk up the stairs, there's like. Is it like, still there? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been there for about a month. Um, and so oh, awesome. the idea cool. is you walk through a history of the internet from like the early, like, all the way in the 1960s, all the way to Web3 to kind of see that it's called the path to decentralization of like in the 1960s, actually in the 1950s, even they were the government and the people that invented the internet, they were thinking about decentralization as terms of a resilient communication network to oppose the, the Soviet uh, Cold War that was happening. It was like how, if we were to get hit by a nuclear bomb, how do we build a communication infrastructure that won't go down? And this is where our decentralization came from, from our from the government, mm. basically. Um, so, anyway, so we can go on to that. But the, the, the how the, ironic! <laughs> how ironic, right? Yeah. yeah. So you go through you go through the stairs of Empire now, um, at like over two or three stories, and like as you go up, you, you get closer to Web three. And at the end of it, um, I kind of listed out the the three principles of Web three, uh, which to me are promote decentralization. Um, Ownership, so ownership of your identity, ownership of your data, uh, and number three, working in public. So that that working in public part is goes back to Sammy's question. Um, the, you know, people are really embracing the working in public, sharing code. So if you're new and you're getting started, and you're like, "Oh man, this Web three thing is already like it's already happened. It's already too late." It mm. is like day one half day half it's like it's like it's like 8 p.m <laughs> it's early it's the first day <laughs> it's the first day and there's so many things out there you can use to integrate um you know like i mean the thing that we are really kind of started with console with like i said it's just like decentralized identity i mean there's so much you can do just with that um the dot the eth naming system you could just with a few lines of code you can bring it into your project um and we're doing the dot btc if you like Solana, there's not Sol. Like there's these, these these naming systems, and then what can you do with that? You know, how could you make? I'm just making this up, but like you know, file sharing or uh, image like an Instagram or like Airbnb where you own your own data or, or something new that we've never heard of. Um, but that's just one primitive, just the decentralized identity um, that we're using. But there's there's so much out there. Um, I would say probably just listen to your podcast more and learn <laughs> from people who are sharing their stories of what's out there. But uh, but that was the, that was like I think the one the one thing that really struck with us is decentralized identity. Well, speaking of sharing stories, we haven't even gotten the chance to dive into your story yet because uh, this topic it was so exciting for both yeah. Sammy and I. <laughs> um, and since you know we are kind of I guess we used up most of our time talking about console. Uh, which is fine. I think maybe uh, um, something that would be good to focus on in both Chris's story and also Sammy's story that we haven't talked about on Masters of Web3 yet is the idea of joining an incubator. Chris, you were in the Y Combinator. You went in 2013, and that was also kind of around the same time that you discovered Bitcoin. And um, Sammy transacts Transact owes its its humble beginnings to um, 
Well, I know you were part of Tachyon, but there was also another incubator that you were in prior to Tachyon. Is that right? Yes. Transact is not a company out of that incubator, but I did that incubator with another company. So I see. Okay. Yeah. So it also sounds kind of similar to Console because um, Console wasn't born from Y Combinator, but I'm sure, Chris, that there were like dots that you were connecting along the way. So maybe the both of you could talk a little bit about the benefit of joining these incubators, these accelerator programs, iterating, even if the it takes a year, couple years for the idea to fully form. What is the value of going to these accelerators and incubators and making connections for people who are thinking about maybe joining Kernel or Tachyon or you know something similar? Well, I, I think when people see successful entrepreneurs, um, they, they assume that like, they have some innate talent and, and they just kind of like, just, they just woke up one day and they decided, Hey, I'm going to start a company. And then, and then they like started Coinbase or they started like, you know, Facebook or, or whatever, you know, like whatever big company, but actually um, all of the entrepreneurs I know who, well, not all, but, but almost all um, they, they kind of struggled and had like many failures before they, they kind of hit something, they hit a market. And, and that's, that's for a few reasons. One is that is that a lot of entrepreneurship is luck. You know, as, as much as, you know, you look at very successful business people and you want to believe that they're just like amazing people, it, it's really a lot of it is luck, right? So for example, like Bill Gates struck a deal with IBM to make software for them. And that was Microsoft, right? And it's like one of the biggest tech companies in history. And even going going further back, Bill Gates also went to one of the few, I believe, public schools that got one of the first computers in history, you know? So. Right, right. And and so it's like kind of right place, right time doesn't mean that he necessarily was like a mega, mega genius as compared to like other entrepreneurs, right? Although you do have to be obviously very smart and very accomplished to, to like build it out to scale, right? So right. Um, which... Which so the first point to summarize is that the more stuff you do, the higher chance you have of being lucky, right? Like the more conversations you have, the more products you build, the the more like investors you speak to, the more customers you speak to, the the higher the chances that you're going to get that like IBM customer or that whatever customer, right? So I think that's the first thing is is that doing an accelerator um, kind of gives you that that platform to to do it on. Uh, and it allows you to not burn too much of your own money and uh, mental health as well, because like you're kind of surrounded by surrounded by like other like-minded people. And if if you're just sitting on your own in like a bedroom somewhere, it's like very lonely and, and depressing. So like doing an accelerator is like makes it much easier. Um, which kind of brings me to my next point, which is that uh, another reason or like another prerequisite other than luck for a company to succeed is that you have to have the skills and it's very, very rare that a first time founder will have like all of the skills, right? Like you might be very good at product or you might be very good at sales or you might be very good at finance or HR or like whatever it is. But there's like, when you, when you start to get like tens or hundreds of employees, like it's just, there's so many skills that you need to learn. And so having, having like a platform and accelerator program can give you a bit of buffer, a bit of runway to like, mess up a few times because you will mess up like a lot right and, <laughs> and and like even if people like you read all the books and you you hear like all the mistakes you will still mess up there's like there's gonna be lots of things that you wish you did better so yeah yeah and 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 like i think it's worth it for the equity to be honest to, to do an accelerator program yeah. yeah i couldn't agree more yeah yeah tell us about your experience chris yeah, I mean, especially if you're a first-time founder and you're listening, I mean, I think the opportunity to have an accelerator, to have someone give you money and advice, it's like better than going to... And if I had a choice to go, if I was like 18 and it was like I got accepted into an accelerator, which is maybe, I'm not sure, likely, but you know, they probably want to see a little bit more of a tracker, but it happens sometimes um, between college and an accelerator. I mean, you know, starting a company is like the best... Uh, MBA or business degree you could ever get. So to have that right. advice and uh, backing and support and yeah, it's uh yeah, I, 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 for, especially for first time founders, I would, I couldn't recommend it more. 
Now, at the time that you were in Y Combinator in 2013, how much was Web3 and blockchain on people's minds? <laughs> Compared was, to now. <laughs> it was weird back then. I mean, to take you back, I mean, Coinbase was 2012. So this is one year after Coinbase. Um, the only thing I knew people were doing with like crypto back then was like buying drugs or something. I don't know. <laughs> like you would just hear these stories. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, that's obviously phased out um, and not, not become the narrative. Thank, thankfully of what, you know, what Bitcoin and crypto's potential is. But I think in our batch of 50 companies, so the, you know, we, we were the last batch with Paul Graham. Uh, and I think there was one only one crypto company in twice. So 2012 is Coinbase, 2013 summer. I think we had one. Uh, and then I think, you know, it slowly, I think in 2014, there was like a smaller handful. It slowly grew from there. And now, you know, I'm an advisor um, and I work with some of the incoming, I can't even keep track. Now there's like dozens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It feels a little bit like a spaghetti at the wall period of time. What did the two of you, to wrap up, some you know sometimes I ask um, what will it take for somebody to become the next master of Web three, but I think another way of asking that question, as it relates to startups and accelerators and incubators, is like what out of all these companies that are that are rising and falling right now, what do you think it will take for the ones that are still here in ten years? Like what will what will they have that the others don't? Number one is is a sustainable business model, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like not based off like VC funding, right? Like actual revenue is generated somewhere in the business model um, that is sustainable. And yeah. then I think number two is is just running the company in, in a lean and disciplined way, you know? Um, I think a lot of companies got ahead of themselves. Um, and I think I think now is the time to, Run, run the company with some discipline and, and, you know, make sure that the company is on track for break even and, and profitability. Uh, and I think if you have those two things and, and you, you can see through the crypto winter, then, then uh, you're going to make it, you know. So practical, Sammy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus one to that. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'd probably say the same thing and maybe I just add, um, I think we are in a bubble with Web3, uh, everything from uh, the way we talk about it to even the name Web3, I think will go away and become just something more general, maybe just the web. Uh, and I think we're in a bubble with uh, the colors we use and the branding. I think all of this, uh, my point <laughs> is, um, I think I've, I've heard only 4% based on like a TRM Labs uh, quote that I think it's 4% of people have crypto wallets right now. And wow. the world is very big. There are billions oh my of gosh. people. I need to get out of New York. <laughs> yeah, we all we all need to get out of yeah the bubble a little bit. So I think the real opportunity sure. is uh, whoever embraces the wave of building Web three or whatever it is, open minded enough to help be inclusive of the rest of the world. It's just bringing it to the rest of the world mm. in a way that's like meets people where they are and solves real world problems. That's the real big challenge. That's such a good question. That's such a good question. And I don't want you to like, ah, I don't want you to like out anyone or throw shade at anyone, but do you feel like, do you worry that there's a sense of almost like, almost like, this, this sounds like an oxymoron, but almost like degen elitism a little bit where it's like, do you, do you think that there's a resistance or like a sense of like, in order for mainstream adoption to happen, which is everyone's goal, I think. I'm sure there are some DGENs who would who don't care about mainstream adoption and don't want everyone and their grandma to have a crypto wallet. But do you do you is there do you get the sense that we that's something that we have to overcome is almost like this um disinterest in I don't know, watering it down, so to speak, or making it super accessible or making it something that's that's easy because this field attracts so many complex thinkers and visionaries that like kind of to what Sammy was saying, like it really does come down to having really simple, accessible tools and, and an open-mindedness to make them available to the average person and educate people. Is that something that you think the industry is in the process of overcoming a little bit? hundred percent. You know, um, 
I, I so I'm also working on this Web three book, which is where the gallery piece came from. Um, and when I was writing it last in, in 2021, uh, nobody when I was pitching it and, and trying to get my agent, um, nobody knew what Web three was, and they were kind of like, "What is this? Like, it sounds really cool." And now I, I do have an agent, and I'm working with editors on it. And now, like, it's like the elephant in the room is that like a lot of people have a negative reaction. So in a year, mm. we've gone from I don't know what this is to um, very and and so now you know the narrative I think has to address the 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 sentiment and like the taste in people's mouths that like this is like a crypto bro club of monkeys and money and Lamborghinis and like that all exists and like that's great like to each their own like that's fine like I'm not putting I'm not I'm not uh, aggrandizing or putting down anything but. The vision, I think, needs to just be larger and reach more people. So that's great that we've like attracted that crew um, and that we're a part of it. But I think how do we like transcend that to go through it and without turning people off? So that that is the opportunity. And I think the narrative um, does need to become more inclusive of a diverse group of people, um, yeah. of opinions, of geographic locations, of people with varying economic, you know, I, I just think it just, just the way that the internet did too. Like, you know, um, the internet, you know, was this hope I think for like democratizing information. And I think web three is this hope for democratizing ownership of, of our, of our lives, you know, and, and, and imp- improving the world, hopefully I think. So that's the challenge and the opportunity. Yeah, I think there are definitely <laughs> there are definitely moments where I choose not to reveal the fact that I work in crypto and Web three, just depending on the room I'm in, <laughs> and, and if I'm in the mood, and if I'm in the mood to like, you know, be available for people's reactions, because sometimes they'll have a positive one. I mean, it depends. Sometimes they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's so cool," and I'm like, "Yeah," and then I have to talk to them about how cool it is. And sometimes I'm like, "Oh my gosh, they're totally going to judge me and think that I'm just a bro and whatever." Not that I, you know. <laughs> a man but you know like it's just it's like and it, maybe i think some people would argue like that the strong reaction is the first step right like and a strong reaction is maybe if you look at like anything that just any kind of technology that disrupted that disrupted societies over time right like the strong reaction was probably the first step even if it was a negative one you know 100 yeah yeah okay that. i have so many questions <laughs> We could come do you guys back have another, another hour? If you guys want, we could do a part. We could do a part two if you guys want. This has been really fun. I really, yeah, I've been really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. Likewise, yeah. and Chris, what's the name of your book, and when is it coming out? Oh, uh, it will likely be early 2023. I, I have a few names I've been playing with, but I would say just follow me at Castig, C-A-S-T-I-G, and uh, I'll probably be tweeting out the most recent name pretty soon, or the most you know, likely name, but I'm still kind of working through a few different titles. So, um, Yeah, the yeah, title's the hardest part. It's, yeah, and at the end of the day, you don't really get to choose the the uh, the, pub, the public mm. the publisher just chooses. So <laughs> I, get, like, get, I only get a small vote, uh, but it's all good. So yeah. Stay tuned for that. Awesome. We'll we'll make sure that the listeners follow along. And um, yeah, this has been such a thrill. Thanks so much for coming. And could I just plug the Twitter too? If anybody wants to learn about console at console DAO, C-O-N-S-O-L-E-D-A-O, come follow us and uh, we'll give you all the updates. Awesome. Love it. Great stuff. Thanks, Castic. Really, really enjoyed that. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to Masters of Web 3, a Transac podcast. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show, giving us a review, and sharing this episode with one of your friends on Twitter. We know you hang out there. (laughs) If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us to keep delivering the best and latest stories on blockchain technology right to your ears. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Masters of Web 3. (laughs) 